friends. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with Masonic Improvement. And Dennis with Masonic Improvement. We have a... With the uh, Grand Lodge of Texas. And we are very excited to have you this here this evening, sir. Well, thank you. Yes, you, can, you can see me beaming right now. I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> yes. To start off, would you please tell us a little bit about your Masonic background? Well, you know, I was raised in 1978 in Hanley Lodge in Fort Worth, Texas. I became a Mason because I was so active in Dean Malay back in my earlier days. Uh, I recognized I owed a, a huge obligation to Masonry for what it gave me as a Dean Malay. So I was raised in 1978. I was active for a few years. And then essentially, I took some time off to raise a family, build a career, and all those kind of things. Uh, my really active masonry came back in December 2005. Uh, the, uh, I had been gone from masonry for, oh, gosh, 23 years, I guess it was, at that time. Paid my dues and all that kind of stuff. But it was never active in a lodge or my home lodge during that time period. And then in December 2005, uh, our youngest child was a senior in high school, and we had been really involved in her athletic career and all that kind of stuff. And I was asking myself in December 2005 what I was going to do the next year after she graduated. And I decided, based upon my DMLA days, I wanted to go back to masonry to learn the ritual work. Uh, and so you can really kind of count 2005, December 2005, as the day I count uh, on my active masonry career. Very nice. We, we have both kind of stepped away for a little while as well. It's, it's interesting to see that even, even our most worshipful grandmaster has stepped away for a little bit because he needed to, to, to take care of his family and, and then come back to it. And, and there's, always, there's always potential even when you come back. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's a time and place that God has for us to be active in masonry and lead us down that path. And uh, he'll decide when it's time for us to be there. Uh, there's also time and place in your life when, when it fits in. If you got young kids who are active, uh, you got a job or career that demands, well, you got to pay attention to those first. Yes, sir. Uh, and at reach a point in time. There's a bunch of 50-year-old Masons out there who have never been active that I'm convinced could be called back in if they were given the option. I've always heard really good things about De Malay. Uh, what got you involved in that? In Dean Malay, it was interesting. My mother was raised in Texas. Um, I think maybe her grandparents had been Masons at one time, but I never knew my grandfather or great-grandfathers. Uh, when I was a ninth grader in Fort Worth, I got an invitation to a Dean Malay dinner rush type of function. And my mom saw that, and she said, you're going. And then she said, if they ask you to join, you're joining. Uh, so I didn't have much of an option. Uh, ninth, ninth grade and, and um, you know, guys at the end of ninth grade, almost before my 10th grade year, uh, became a DMLA. Uh, had some great, great advisors, um, some great, great brothers in DMLA. And what struck me were the values of the organization. The seven cardinal virtues uh, are out there. It's just the value support system. Uh, it was a continuation of what my father always taught me. What was the transition from DMLay to Freemasonry like? Well, you know, I, you know, I guess really there was there was a time period between DMLay and Masonry. Um, I guess I would have had 
majority have Dean Malay in 2000. I'm sorry, and, and uh, God, we're trying to add things together. 1972. <laughs> um, and so then I went finished up college, and then went to law school. I came back from law school when I was my you know petition missionary. Transition, um, you know, the values that we teach in missionary uh, are the same values that you see in Dimolay. So there wasn't a big transition from there. That's very interesting. Uh, like I said, I've always heard great things about Dimolay and uh, the brothers that were in Dimolay that had become Freemasons always spoke really highly of it. So uh, I really appreciate your insight on that. So, as you said in the introduction, you are the grandmaster of the state of Texas. Um, no small, no small task right there. Why did you decide that you be- wanted to become the grandmaster? Because I thought there was something I could offer to the masons of Texas. Um, you know, my career was such that, that it, it gave me a, a different perspective from a lot of people in masonry. Uh, and I thought I could offer something to masonry in Texas. Like, you yes. know, it's interesting. Let me relate this to you. I was at a um, service award yesterday for a 75-year Mason, uh, 101 years old. His son was there, uh, who's probably, I guess, in his late 70s at this point, had been in Demolay in, in San Antonio, an Albert Pike chapter. Uh, didn't know him at that time. And he mentioned during the ceremony that he was a senior Demolay. It came out that we actually knew some of the same people from those days back before, uh, you could see his eyes light up at the mention of DeMolay and what they had meant to him. And he had been a good friend with Elmer Murphy, a past grandmaster here in the college fraternity uh, during those days there, but he still remembers DeMolay days. And we talked about what it was from DeMolay that, that gave us a, a, a going forward. And again, it's the value system that DeMolay presented to us. And this is a guy who hadn't seen Demolay or and was not is not a Mason uh, in over fifty years, uh, but he still had that recognition of what Demolay means. Well, you know, I that kind of rolls into a question that I had that's not not part of our general questions that that we were planning on asking you, but um, you know, you mentioned the past grandmasters that were Demolay and and whatnot. Did any of those were those did any of those guys take you in as mentors or or anything? I mean, when when you think of what got you to where you are today, who are the folks that really taught you what you needed to know to be able to get you into the mess that you're in today? Right. What what got you into the mess of being on this podcast right this minute? <laughs> you know, life's a journey, you know, and in every step of the way, it prepares you for something down the way. My dad, you know, was a great man, was never a Mason, never intended to be a Mason. Uh, but he always lived by one rule. Is it the right thing to do? If you think about that, this is elementary into what we do as Mason. Is it the right thing to do? Uh, you go from there to yes. the uh, advisors in DMLA, Dad Quarter, uh, guys, Joe, Dad Joe, his name doesn't come to recollection right now to his last name, Dickerson, Joe Dickerson, and what and Dean Alexander, the people who, who, who express those values to you by how they live their lives. 
Well, you know, in Dingwalai, you had these values that you recognize as important. And those values then would guide you in your selection of a spouse, in your selection of a career. Uh, then the next step down the road is, is, you know, you have that spouse and you, you want to do what's right. And that leads you down the road, the path of doing the things that are important, you know, being a youth coach, uh, being involved in Rotary Club, wherever it might be, but doing the things that are being involved in your church, doing those things you're supposed to be doing. So I wouldn't say any one person stands out uh, during that course. There are people along that path, like I said, Joe Dickerson, Bill Corder, you know, Dean Alexander, uh, Reese Harrison. I met Reese Harrison, who's a past grandmaster here in the state of Texas, uh, when I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And he was a big fancy lawyer and a great friend with the then executive officer in Texas, my remarks. But Reese set an example. Uh, he knew that he was very, very, very bright, very, very sharp and articulate, but he had a good heart. Uh, so he, he's a signpost along the way. There's just so many of those people that you come across. Yes. You, you often yes. hear. Not answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you often hear about that with people that are, are very, very successful at whatever, whatever chosen field they're, they're working in or whatever organization they're in. It's often, not the work of just one or two people. It's the cumulative work of really everybody that they've that everybody that they've interacted with throughout that journey. You said journey, like you said. Yes, that you know, I I go back to um, when when I met you the first time. It was back at officer leadership training five six years ago, something like that, and and. Um, I remember meeting you back then and then I would always show up to officer leadership anyways, just because I just loved it. And, and we would talk and get to know each other. And, and uh, it, you're exactly right with you and Brad and, and Paul and, and, and um, most worshipful Chapman, you know, everybody, they always came up and, and visited with, with me and, and made me, you know, realize that I was just as important as anybody else in the field. And, and, that gave me the courage to do, you know, the things that I've done and, and step up and in, into, you know, an assisting role in with, with Justin and, and being, being his evil twin. And, you know, it's, evil twin. You're the, it's, you're it's, the been, evil. it's been, <laughs> I'm the, I think that's contested. He's, he's so above, he's so above <laughs> and I'm below. That's, that's right. <laughs> so uh, what were your goals when you, when you began your, your year as grandmaster? Did it start there or did, was it, did it start before um, like when you, when you first, you know, made yourself available for Grand South? You know, as, as I said before, it's, it's, it's a lifelong journey. Uh, I was fortunate to become the chairman uh, the Fort Worth Scottish Valley, um, I guess 2010 and or, or 11, and there someplace. Um, you know, membership at that time was just less than 3,000. And that gave me a great deal of experience in, in organizing and working for a group, a large group of Masons. Uh, so you take that path. Uh, and that gives you some, gives you some thoughts what you think are important. But what happens, you become... You know, you go on in life and, and you realize what you thought one time was true or not true isn't or is because uh, you don't know. You don't have that experience. Uh, I can tell you that I had some thoughts that I still have from a time that I first made myself available for the Grand South. Uh, that I thought things would go this direction or that direction. And that's not been true. 
there, there are still pathways that I established then that I still belong to. You know, I've always thought the problem with masonry is not necessarily the number of masons, but the number of people who are active in masonry. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the talk we've given all year long is the fact that maybe less than 20% of masons in a lodge will be seen at that lodge during the course of a year. Uh, doesn't mean the ones who aren't there who, who are not there are bad or anything. It's just they don't see the value of being active in the lodge. Um, a lot of times what we've done in, in masonry is say that if you don't go to meetings, you can't be a good mason. You have to go to meetings all the time. Well, in our, our, you know, in our lifestyle today, meetings are not very important. Uh, the fact that a person might want to come out and work in a degree and not come to meetings, we ought to accept that and not require him to just be there for the meetings to be an active Mason. Uh, and we requited that, and that's, that's just the wrong way to go. Uh, we need to have more fellowship and more brotherhood within the lodges themselves. Um, a tremendous number of Masons will go into a Blue Lodge, uh, then become active, say, in Scottish Rite, Shrine, or York Rite, because they don't find the opportunity for fellowship in the local lodge. And local lodges have got to do a better job of providing that time and space for fellowship. Yes, sir. Your your comment, your statement reminded me of a conversation that I had just a few days ago. It, it was a, at a very small lodge, and the worship master was expressing concern because elections are coming up, in, you know, in six months or so, and there's there's not really a whole lot of people his comment was there's not a whole lot of people to pull from. And there's the fact is that this lodge has plenty of members. It's not a membership problem. It's, it's a problem like you described, actually getting people that are willing to come and sit in a position at the lodge. If every member showed up, they wouldn't have any seating room. So that's not a, and that's the same situation with most lodges. So it's a very small turnout. That, that is the problem. And as you said, it's about providing some type of value to get them to show back up. Well, yeah, that's why I've been talking about the lawyer or the lawyer, to lodges here lately is that you, know, you have a lodge, you have a number of points of interaction in that lodge, be it meetings, degree work, social activities, charity work. And there's probably five or six points of interaction. And what we have to do is focus the members to be active on those different points of interaction. My son's a great example. He's been a Mason for probably 12, 15 years, but he'll not go to a stated meeting. He's just not going to spend his time doing that. But yet, if you say, Brandon, we have some ritual work that we need you to come do, he'll come. Brandon, you know, we have a social activity. Bring the kids. He'll be there. So if you just define for your membership the different points of interaction they can have at the lodge, and then push the right points upon your membership, then you increase that membership who are active in the lodge. Yes, sir. Yes, and that 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 comes goes to my point that I was wanting to to bring up that we've talked about several times and with other members as well. Not, you know, it it's getting it's becoming well known that we need to be um, more well rounded lodges. We need to be all um, all in lodges. We have to commit to doing all the things in Freemasonry, not just a couple of parts, because then we're missing out on, on all this that, that we could be pulling from. So we're, we're dealing with the same 80-20 rule that, 
that all organizations face, even our churches face, you know, it's the same 20% that does 80% of the work. So we're dealing with that. And I think the reason why is it in our situation is because we tend to forget the education. We forget the esoteric. You know, we, we think that we, we put too much emphasis on the ritual and well, that is extremely important. And I believe in perfect ritual. I do. I, I, I think that it's not the only thing. And so we, we need the education of that ritual. We need the education of why we're there. And we also need the, the, the fellowship like you're talking about. And, and, you know, and some people, they just like a good fish fry, you know, that's, well, you know, that, especially yeah. in the rural lodges. What it comes down to is, is, is the fellowship. Yeah. Each of the conferences yeah. we had this year, 20 conferences, questions asked is what do your members need from, from our fraternity? Uh, what do you need for our fraternity? And the number one answer was always fellowship. Uh, yes, sir. Our men and our fraternity want to associate with men with good values. And they want to associate with them. They don't want to sit in a lodge meeting and listen to a secretary read minutes. But what they want to do is have a cup of coffee, say, beforehand. And that's why they come to stay at the meetings. Or on Saturday morning down at the lodge, just get together and just have coffee and talk. Absolutely. Our members want to be with people who have good values. Um, and we have to make it easy for them. That's, that's one of the things that I love about going to Grand Lodge. I, I really enjoy everything that goes on within Grand Lodge itself. However, I, it's the only time out of the year that I see a lot of brothers that I think very fondly of. And that fellowship is, is yes. invaluable. Uh, it's the only time I get to see Dennis. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's one of my favorite aspects. Aside from sitting in Grand Lodge and, and, and seeing everything and hearing everything, it's that fellowship as you described. Absolutely. And, and we can fellowship in so many different ways and, and, and there's so many different opportunities to for us to fellowship. And so some, some guys may enjoy the, the barbecue. Some guys may enjoy the beer down at the pub and some, and, and you have all that when you go to grand lunch. And that's the cool thing is that you have all this hodgepodge of people together and, and we may go have, you know, shrimp one night and, and, you know, steak the next and listen to a band the next and, and hug all your, all your favorite guys at, at grand lodge while, while you're listening to the resolutions, you know, it's, I, I'm a big fan. I'm sold. I'll always be there. I also want to add before, before we move on, uh, to the conversation we were having a little bit ago. Um, something that I've learned, well, actually, let me back up. Something that I've heard before is that there's something for every everybody, every Mason in the lodge. And I know I've personally spoken with brothers that are hesitant to go to lodge because they don't want to end up with an office or be on a committee or something like that. And that's okay. Not everybody is interested in leadership positions nor do I believe everybody should be in leadership positions, but there is opportunity right. for, for everybody. Um, if you don't want to be in leadership position, there's, there's opportunities. Some people, if you like to cook, most lodges will be ecstatic to have someone that can cook. Personally, I found that what I enjoy doing the most are lectures during degrees. Um, and I've been through all the stations and all the, all the degrees, but the thing that's always stuck with me is I really love giving lectures. And it seems like a it seems like a very small thing when you're trying to put together a degree team. Finding someone that can give a lecture, especially out here in the boondocks, is very 
very good. <laughs> so there's something for everybody. There's a role for everybody. You just sometimes it takes a while. I've been a Mason for 15 years, and I just fell into this this niche of doing lectures just recently. But my point is, there is value of going to the meetings, and there's definitely there, there's definitely some value you can provide to the fraternity that you will get satisfaction from. And it may not be going through the line, and it may not be sitting on a committee or something, but. To anyone listening to this right now, if you have been hesitant to go to a meeting or anything like that, or just go to your lodge because you're not, you're not either you're not feeling value or you're not don't feel like you're providing the value, stick it through. Just just expand your horizons a little bit, test the waters and some of the different aspects of the fraternity. You may find that you like giving lectures. You may find that you like doing uh, educational perspective uh, presentations. You may find that one day. You'll be the grandmaster. There, there is something for everybody. Every Mason has a path in this fraternity. Uh, most worshipful, what do you believe was your greatest success this year, and why do you feel that way? Without a question, uh, the greatest success this year is the fact that my wife and I spent so much more time together uh, in this process, and that we've grown that we've grown during this process of the last year. Uh, that's the greatest. Uh, success of the whole year uh, is part of that long journey we go through. My wife and I, we've been together for a long time. I cannot tell you how long because I get shot. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's you know, she that, doesn't look it. I know she doesn't. Look, she doesn't look, <laughs> I do. But anyway, but the thing is, is that it's a journey. You know, I can be a good leader in masonry based upon who I travel this, this journey with. And that's my wife. Uh, she had those values I learned in Dean Malay and why I chose her because that was a natural uh, outreach that I had for, for a woman in my life was her. Um, you know, that been the greatest success without any question. Number two, I think the greatest success would be is that next greatest success would be the fact that we've had so many uh, anecdotes about Masons who've come back to the fraternity this year through the Bring Back a Brother program. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been approached by Masons and said, guys, in X Lodge has six guys who came back. You know, they hadn't seen in years, but they reached out to them and they reached out to them just to find out how they were doing and see if they needed anything. And that brought those folks back. And I told that, you know, I would say hundreds of times, I don't know about hundreds of times, but tens of times I've heard that story. Um, and that's, that's been very rewarding. Uh, watching the Masons of Texas work. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of degree work this year. Uh, I'm sure some of that was catching from last year, but I think a lot of that also is there's a new energy that people got when they came back to masonry after the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, shutdown. I know personally, I was very excited to get back into the lodge after that shutdown. And I think, I think that applies to a lot of other brothers as well. I absolutely, I wanted to ask, you mentioned that, this year has brought you closer to your wife and that to be frank was a little surprising because I know that your position is very demanding. So this is really a, a cable toe question. How did you balance your personal life with your responsibilities as grandmaster? Well, it's great to be That's retired. Typically, you know, I spend, you know, at least six to eight hours a day on my desk working on a computer doing stuff on my desk. 
uh, you know, how we balance things. It worked out better that this year than last year, year before, because we would go to places together. Mm. And that, that was the personal balance. Yes. Now, I mean, That's it's, it's like the whole year's been tied up with masonry. Um, you know, the, the grand marshal's doing the calendar, we're working on the calendar, how many places we've gone this year. It's somewhere over 200 someplace. Wow. Um, we've had, a, you know, it's been, a, and, and the best part of being grandmaster is traveling. Uh, everyone likes you. Only one or two don't like you, but most of the people like you. They, you know, they, they pray for you, uh, you know, and, and, and they really are glad to see you when you get there. And so traveling is the very best part. It, by far the best part is the job is traveling. Say, I love traveling. Just within my just within my little my little circle that I'm able to do so easily, so uh, traveling the entire state would be a fantastic year, I think. And you know, you know me. I I always take my wife everywhere, so it's I'm right there with you. That's that's my favorite thing to do is to is to spend time with the girls and and enjoy Freemasonry together. That's that's a win win. If you could do this year as Grand Master over again, would you do anything differently? I think anyone who would not do something differently is a fool. Uh, I've learned so much this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I thought I knew going in which levers to pull, uh, which committees to stir. But you know, looking back now, I think I'd do things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, there'll be things I would do differently. No question about that. Yes, sir. I know as when I was worship master for the first time, um, right around the time I was getting the hang of everything, my year was up. So <laughs> I don't know if that's probably what it feels like as grand master or not, but I know at the, at the large level for me, um, right around the time I thought I had things figured out, it was the next guy's turn. That's right. Yeah. And, and, but that's, that's how life goes. I mean, you're a better lawyer 10 years down the road than when you start. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's all about those experiences. Yes, I feel the same way. I on when I was worshipful master, and I I really only want to be one time. Goliad was my was my uh, my time in the sun. But um, we can fix that for you. (laughs) 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 Maybe someday, but I, I really I and and you know if I could do it again, I would do it again. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had some guys that really, they supported me through the whole thing. And that's, that's what I try to do as well. I, I talk about it regularly with everybody is, you know, I, I'm the past master that's going to tell the next guy, you know, what can I do for you to make this the best year you can have? You know, that's, that's my goal. I, I know he may do some things different and that's okay. It's, it's not my year and that's okay. I just want to make it a good experience for him. Just like, um, uh, you know, just like with your year, I, I I hope that every event was as successful as you really wanted it to be because it was your year. It that's a, that's an exciting time. It was. It's all about lifting one another up mm-hmm. from, from the from the EAs to the Grandmaster. We're all brothers, and we're all we should all want to see one another be successful. Where do you see Texas Freemasonry in the next ten to twenty years? There's a real place in our society for Freemasonry. Um, I use the example several times this year that if you know a man has been raised at the altar and has sworn to certain values, that he's more likely to have those values. Uh, but 
that's not true walking down the street. Maybe at one point in time, 4% of the men in the town would be Masons. That's no longer the case. Maybe less than one half of 1% uh, are Masons. So you don't really know what the person across from you are. I think as, as, as our society continues to evolve, there's going to be a real pressure upon men to step up to certain values. And that's what masonry offers. Uh, where can it be 10 years from now? You know, you hope it's not less membership, but it probably will be. But I think that if we pay attention to the fellowship, it'll be a closer fraternity. Uh, I, I don't think the idea of having 5,000 people in a lodge or 1,000 people in a lodge or 900 or where that number may be ought to be the object. The object could be is, is have a group of men who want to be there, who are active, who have this fellowship, um, and that they can support each other going down through this world alive. If you take the London example where you have a lodge and they have a max of 50 members, but each member is expected to be active or they don't stay, they don't keep them in the lodge anymore. And then you start another lodge at that point because you want the members that we have to be active members, uh, not just in going to meetings, but for the fellowship purposes. Uh, you know, and you hear stories about in Fort Worth where lodges had 2,000 members and they had the same 15 or 20 people who were doing everything. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good situation. Since you brought it up, it, you described a situation that's always been very enticing to me and that is the lodges that have that limit like you described where um, you're expected to be there and when it gets to a certain point that's that's how they know when to split in format from another lodge or something from a administrative perspective since you have had time going through the grand line if it ever became a, a popular idea how feasible would that be to do well, it, it, it takes a change in mindset. We had this mindset that a lodge is permanent. You create a lodge and it's there forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of who comes through, how it changes, how it evolves, it's lodge there forever. Whereas the London model is more transitory. You have people who have a common interest and they're grouped together. And then, of course, as those men get older, that interest may or may not continue with us, that same group of people and it'll dissolve itself and move on. Um, we had to have lodges of association, not membership numbers, but association. Right. And not, you know, not blue collar, white collar, but a member who had cared about being together. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do that, then, then they'll stay active. You know, my, my son, a great example again, uh, was raised, probably has not been back to his home lodge in, oh, gosh, 14, 15 years. Um, because, it, you know, he has no, no connection with those members over there. Uh, but if, if I call him and say, you know, we're doing a scotch white degree, come down, he'll do that in a heartbeat. Uh, and, and so we have to have this attitude, to, you know, that it's a body of men that, that work together, not a building that you belong to for a period of time. You mentioned uh, lodges that are, that are affiliated by association. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of, uh, very similar. It may even be the same situation as what we described over in England, where you have lodges where the members are police officers or members of members of a university or doctors or, or something like that. Is that what you're describing? Some some kind of common background or yeah, not really a common occupation. I think that's that's not the right direction to go in. Um, 
you want a commonality of interest. Uh, I know lawyers who love to hunt and fish. And I know lawyers who hate hunting and fish. <laughs> I know doctors the same way. So you look for people who have a commonality of interest, uh, be it ritual work, be it reading, be it education, uh, be it charity. And so you take those folks who are really interested in charity and you work those together. That'd be the common interest. Yes, be a charitable lodge. Uh, and there's great examples of lodges that are built upon charity. Uh, Knox, Corinthian, and Dallas is an example of that, that they're built around charity for the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's the common interest that keeps the people there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and I've also seen what you described, um, lodges that they're really good at ritual or they're, they take a, a lot of pride in their building or like um, there's one nearby. They have a, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's a nonprofit that they make really large donations to. Uh, every, I mean, very large for Masonic mm-hmm. Lodge. And that's what unites them. And so, yeah, I see what you mean. And I agree completely. Um, finding some kind of commonality like that, that everyone can get behind. Um, once you once you have that, you become, uh, for lack of a better term, like it, it, your lodge becomes on fire. Like the members, they have goals. They have that, that, that initiative to, to really push towards that common shared mm-hmm. goal. Yeah, my, my home lodge, Henley Lodge, uh, it was formed back in 1921. And the f- initial common interest was, of course, it was a small town outside of Fort Worth, was that members who joined that were primarily from the uh, people who worked on the interurban rail between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, it went from there to being the bus driver lodge because when they did away with the interurban or the rail traffic between Dallas and Fort Worth, the buses became important. So a bunch of bus drivers belonged at lodge. That was the commonality of their interests. That's what bound them together. Uh, it evolved. Buses got away. They became a ritual lodge over the years, and they were very active ritual for a number of years. Um, and so, you know, the, this commonality is so very important. Right? You know, Nolan River Lodge in Rowland Vista, Texas, uh, was down to three or four members. What six, seven years ago? Maybe eight years ago? They were down to three or four active members. Uh, they got interested in doing charity for the city, and they've raised. $50,000 a year for the last several years for charity in the city. Wow. And that's what built them back up. That uh, made them an active lodge. And it's a, probably the strongest lodge in that region right now. Nolan River Lodge is actually the lodge that I had in mind mm-hmm. when I, when I was talking about that. And I remember, I remember going there several years ago and they were definitely in trouble. And now you go and sit in there and you listen to the treasurer give his report <laughs> and your jaw drops because they, they have some very good fundraisers. And they are the right fundraisers being hosted by the right people at the right time at the right place. And, yeah. and everything just comes together. And they have enthusiasm. You know, they're, they're in the process now of designing a new lodge building. Uh, they've been in the building they have now for a number of years. But they have plans now to buy the lots that they're going to build a building on or be given to them. The land will be given to them for the most part. Uh, Sulphur City or Sulphur Springs Lodge, same way. They've raised a tremendous amount of money every year. Uh, you know, Young County Lodge, they do the same thing. But they had this commonality of interest uh, that makes that lodge. And then, of course, that, that commonality changes over a period of time. Uh, you take really active lodges, um, and they go on 10 or 12 years, and all of a sudden they're not very active anymore until a new group of people come in with new commonality of interest. And that brotherhood is what makes it runs. Uh, Raleigh Vista, for sure. 
Yes, sir. What's interesting is that it's a lot like a, a business cycle, the way that you explain it, that, you know, you have the commonality that everybody gets excited about. And, and you know, it's, it's just like with a business, everybody's excited about the, the new product and sales go up. And then everybody sits on that product for a while and then sales start going down and then you get another new product and sales start going up. And it's just like a business cycle. I last year, one of the most heartbreaking moments that I've dealt with, even though I I am a strong proponent proponent of of merging lodges if we need to and and getting back to the basics, but seeing the the lodge in Yoakum uh turn in its charter last year, that was exactly what you said. It was it was a, a railroad lodge. And they had the most beautiful mahogany lodge. Everything was mahogany and just magnificent. It was like you walked into Grand Central Station and and it had some of the coolest features with hidden doors. And I'm talking about hidden walls, not hidden doors. And they were full full mahogany walls. And the, the ceilings were, were all stamped in with the different symbols of the of the uh, of all the Masonic you know, appendant bodies and, and whatnot. And this, it just happened. They didn't, they didn't find their next, their next um, thing. Next that to, to, yeah. They didn't get, find that next thing to pull them together and to get behind. And you know, and it's the saddest thing. Yeah. And the same thing is a lot of lodges focus upon their building uh, more than anything else. And you, 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 some of these lodges out there almost had the attitude that they exist just for the building. And that's, that's their sole function is to maintain a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've told lots of people, you know, you don't really have to consolidate, just go share buildings for a while. You know, if you got 10 or 12 active members in your lodge, you don't really have to consolidate. Just go ahead and find another place to meet that it won't cost you an arm and leg. And at the same time, you can focus upon the fellowship of your lodge and get away from just having to exist for a building. You had mentioned the commonality. And you mentioned that um, lodges don't need to necessarily merge together, um, but just share a building. Can you expand on that? Because I, I think you're right on the money there. It's just like when we share, you have all these lodges that share these big temples. That's the, ex, that's the best idea of all. You know, you have one big place and everybody can, can share the resources and, and, you, you take a county, say Tarrant County, uh, that at one time had like 30, 32 or 33 different lodges and probably 25 to 27 different buildings. Uh, you know, back in the days when you had horse and buggy to go from place to place, uh, it makes sense to have a bunch of lodges out there different, separated. But in an urban environment, to have 23 different lodge buildings, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, I agree. You know, you have a lodge in Arlington, uh, has a, you know, a, a, a lodge room, has a York Rock room. They're underused. Uh, and within, gosh, a four or five mile residence, there's probably there's six, seven lodges out there that could be using that building and not have to bear the expense of having another building someplace else. Uh, most lodges in an urban environment draw members not from a particular area of that city, but from across the city. The friends, the members of that lodge uh, are the ones that join that lodge. Um, you know, you, you look at, say, uh, my lodge, Handy Lodge. You know, they had lots of folks that 
that live over in Arlington, some North Tarrant County, some West Tarrant County, very few within a mile of that, maybe one or two that live within a mile of the launch building. I think there's no sense having all these different buildings out there. I think this ties back to what you said a little bit ago, most worshipful about uh, fluidity with lodges and a change of mindset. Uh, We were cleaning my lodge not long ago and we we came across the old um, charters from some lodges that I didn't even realize had existed. Um, and what, what, where I'm going with this is long ago, Hillsboro had several small satellite communities around it. And each one of these had its own Masonic lodge. And as, as time progressed, the streets got better. Cars became more popular. They merged with Hillsboro. They, they couldn't sustain themselves out there. And it was a different mentality. I mean, if you look historically, uh, lodges sprouted out pretty common um, early, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, uh, around forts and things like that. They sprouted up. And if they were successful, they stayed. And if they weren't, then they would demise or merge. And in these small communities, likewise, either they would demise or they would merge with a, a larger community. Um, but it was a different mentality, it seems like. Granted, we can't talk to these people. We don't know. But, but you see it. It happened a lot. And we are a lot more resistant to it today. However, I, I think there are many districts and many lodges that would be healthier if we were because it's not the end of your lodge. It's not the end of the story. The story continues. It's just you're in another lodge. You, you're merged. Or like, like was discussed, you're sharing a building now instead of using the same building. Um, we have to be more accepting to the fact that things change. Times change. And the world gets smaller. And it will continue to get smaller. And we have to adapt. As we have historically, we have to readapt readopt that mindset. Yeah, well, the problem with lots of consolidation, if you ask lodges who consolidated, how many members stayed around from the lodge that merged into it? And you often hear stories that said, no, no one stayed around, or only one or two stayed around. The rest of the folks were just lost to masonry. Uh, and that's why I'm not always for sure that a merger is the way to go. I think if you look at the small towns across Texas that have lost lodges, uh, look at Lubbock, for instance, uh, a lot of the small towns lost their lodges. Um, and they, they either demise or merge, say, within one of the Ludwig lodges. Well, the town no longer had a connection with masonry. So if you, maybe if you had kept that lodge, let them meet someplace else so they did not have the burden of trying to support a building, then they may have survived and represent a committee to go down the road. And to, to pick well, up. I have another. <laughs> another aspect. I, I, had another, I had another thought on, on that as well. Um, so in our area, we travel 30 minutes to each lodge that's in our district. So we have all these different lodges in the rural areas. And, and while I agree with if, if you can sustain, you know, the lodge and in a bigger city, it would make a lot more sense. Even Hillsboro is, is a big city compared to us. I mean, we have 1900 people in our city, but, you know, We've got the oldest lodge in Texas in continuous use, so so we're going to hold on to ours. But <laughs> but what what I'm trying to say though is that 
we're willing to travel around and spend money at all these other lodges trying to keep them alive and trying to help them where if why if 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 they're if we're in it for the fraternity and we're willing to travel for to keep somebody else alive why can't we step back and take a look if we're willing to spend our money on all these different little lodges trying to keep them alive why don't we tell these little lodges okay let's stop doing that and just travel 30 minutes to us and everybody put your resources together in one building and and keep masonry alive and let's let's do some meaningful projects let's do some meaningful work out there we can still do work in each one of the cities and and be involved in each one of the cities so they know who we are and maybe we can build it up to where you know we can we can you know build another building later on but sell the assets and 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 put them into another lodge and and thrive and and flourish and and then go back and and build another building if we can do it or or what have you that's that's the thought that i have and it's not that i want lodges to to go away i mean it's it's sad it really is but at the same time i want my fraternity to be strong i want the members to be happy i want i want everybody to get out of the fraternity what what they really thought they were going to get when they joined. Well, you know, of course that varies from lodge to lodge. Uh, we were up at Fish Creek Lodge up in Marysville uh, a few months ago. And again, this is a lodge that had maybe three or four active members at one time. Uh, old lodge in the, in the town Marysville, there was only two or three different buildings there. There's a Baptist church and then the lodge. Uh, and they were fixing the clothes. Well, some Masons in that area, in that county, said that they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to lose that lodge. Uh, when we were there a couple of months ago, there was 45 people there for that lodge meeting. Uh, they regularly had 25 to 35 people show up. And they were, and no one lives within 10 miles of the lodge. Uh, they all had to drive into it. And it's the end of a long gravel road to get there. But there's spirit and enthusiasm in that lodge. And that's the spirit and enthusiasm that have been lost that lodge has not been kept kept open. Uh, they they love it being there. And of course, most folks are active in other lodges, but th- but they saw a purpose and a commonality, and 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 they've worked that commonality together, and it's become a great environment for masonry. I was going to say that that's just like the commonality that, that we discussed earlier, that brought them together. And what you described sounds um, sounds just like Chalk Mountain Lodge, uh, west of Glen Rose. Like I went to. It was on my bucket list to, to visit. There. It's a, it's, it's, yes. Don't go in the summer. I'll just say that. <laughs> don't go in the summer. But, uh, it's water with you when you go. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think there was any brothers there that lived within like a 10 mile radius. Um, people travel from all over and they're members there, but they travel mm-hmm. from all over to, to go to the meetings and, and support it. And it, it, there was that common purpose, you know, that commonality, that common purpose that they're working toward. Yes, well, sir. You know, in in a way, and and I'm and I'm glad that you brought this up because I'm going to blame it all on you when it when we put it on the air, uh, most worshipful. That's okay. In a way, you you brought up a point that they they put their money where their mouth is. They decided they wanted to keep that lodge open. I can tell you, I've gotten in in trouble several times for whipping out the checkbook as soon as I saw a need, and and my my wife got on to me and I told her, okay, well, that's my 10% for this pay period. <laughs> 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 but, and, and I was on the telling edge, the doghouse and, 
I know it. I, I am. I'm, 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 I'm a heathen. I'm telling you, but, but I, um, but I, I seriously, and I've said it before, and I know that, that Justin feels the same way that, you know, when it comes to our lodge and, and making sure that Freemasonry is there for our boys, I will put my money where my mouth is. If I have to buy that lodge building, so that it's it's still there when my boys are ready to to be raised, even though they're hopefully they're going to go to Hillcrest because they live up there. <laughs> but but I will put my money where my mouth is and make sure that Freemasonry is alive for my boys. And I know that's sometimes that's what it takes. Is that in? I I, I oftentimes think that because our dues are so low and and our endowments are so low that that's we we create this thought that it has to, Freemasonry has to be free, but it doesn't. If we want to, if we want to have those experiences that we love so much and enjoy the fellowship with each other in the buildings that we love, we gotta we gotta throw down every once in a while. Well, my my oldest son is named Mason. Um, I think it's pretty obvious what I what I hope for him one day. Uh, I wanted to name my youngest Lewis. It's the only other Masonic name I could think of, but my wife wouldn't have it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> she definitely didn't like hire him or anything either. But um, yeah, and it's it's a it's something I'm willing to fight for for future generations. To Freemasonry has brought so much value to my life, and I know that it has for my father and my grandfather. Yes, and in fact, it brought me closer to my grandfather when he was alive. And my father, who's still alive, but it brought us closer. Um, it's it's a hill worth dying on, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to to be sure that this perseveres for future generations. Yes, absolutely. And I can't wait until you know we're talking with our kids about the the night that we spent with the most worshipful grandmaster of, of the most worshipful Grand Lodge of Texas, and he gave us all this time and wisdom, you know, and and we got to do it for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, let me put my boots on real fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Call it like you said. I agree. That's right. Let's Take your jabs. I deserve it. I can't see your video, but I think you might have something on your nose, Dennis. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, we, we really love you, Ken. We, we do. And, and I think that I'm not the only one who feels that way. I think that you've done a really good job and, and, you know, our future looks so bright in Freemasonry right now with, with you and, and, and everybody that's coming after you. It, we're just headed in such a good place. I think that whereas we, we might thin out some because of, you know, attrition, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that, that we're going to starve from lack of nutrition. We're, we're, we, we may lose a few, a few members just from, you know, the process of aging and, 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 you know, losing a generation or two, but, but you know, we're, we're gaining in quality. And so we're going to have a stronger, better fraternity than we've had in years. And I think that it's the leadership that you and, and those that are behind you that are bringing to the table. That's going to get us there. I truly believe that. I want to, I want to jump on that because I, it's something I've really been thinking about recently. And it's not something that you can quantify, or at least I can't quantify it. I don't have access to the numbers, but it's something in the air. It seems like it feels like a very 
positive forward momentum is building up for, for Texas Freemasonry. And it's just gaining steam at steam as more time goes on. And I know it's because of our leadership and because of the, the brothers of Texas as a whole. Um, I'm very excited for the future of Texas Freemasonry. I, I, like, like you said and has been said before, I don't think we're going to have the numbers that we have had in the past. Uh, I don't know that we, we necessarily should have the numbers we had in the past, but I'm very excited for the, for the quality of the value that Masonic, that Freemasonry is, is offering for its members. That said, uh, most worshipful, we're, we're getting close to the end of this interview. Do you have any parting thoughts or anything that you would like to share? Any words of wisdom for us? Well, you know, I think y'all have expressed quite a few words of wisdom. Well, I appreciate uh, that. You have done a great job. I want to thank y'all for this opportunity. You know, the wisdom I would just tell people is that when you're a Mason, look for the fellowship. And uh, if your law doesn't give you that sense of fellowship, you need to find a group of Masons that you can have that fellowship with. Absolutely. You know, life's, not, life's pretty fragile. And we don't know when, you know, we're going to lose it all uh, or be taken out of this life. And so you have to be prepared. And the best way you can prepare yourself is by surrounding yourself with good men, with good values. Uh, Hopefully those things will rub off upon you and make you a better person. And that's the essence of our fraternity. Do you remember that part in Moneyball, that movie where they're talking about trading this, these players and, and uh, Noah Hill, uh, Jonah Hill grabs his fist and squeezes it tight and, and, and just like, a, oh, yeah, we got him. I, I kind of felt like that when Most Worshipful was talking just a minute ago because you were saying exactly how we feel. And that is, if, you're, if you feel like you're in the wrong place with your lodge, there are plenty of lodges out there. If you feel like you're on an island in the middle of nowhere in your rural lodge, give us a call. We know who who you can go to, to, to get what you're looking for. You know, we, we actually are friends with these brothers with, with most worshipful. We're actually, we call him a friend and we can get you in touch with, with the guys in Fort Worth and, and we can get you in touch with the guys in Corpus. We, we know who to go to. So if you feel like that, don't let that stop yourself from going to lodge, let us know. And we will get you in touch with the people you need to talk to. One of the, one of the thoughts that's, I had, go, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's, I took up enough time with my fouls up. <laughs> one of the thoughts I had as uh, most worshipful was giving his, his parting thoughts is that there are an abundance of lodges and every lodge has its own unique culture. And so don't, yes. don't let your experiences at one lodge give you the, the total impression of what Freemasonry has to offer. If you are at a lodge and you, and you join it and it's not what you thought it was, I promise you there's a lodge out there that is what you thought it was. Uh, Texas is a huge state. This is a wonderful Masonic jurisdiction. And there is a almost limitless variety of Masonic lodges out there. Um, it's just a matter of finding it. And oh, if yeah. you're looking to join a lodge, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely visit oh, around yeah, before sorry. you pick one most worshipful once again i uh this has been 
uh, definitely one of the highlights of my Masonic career is having the opportunity to sit down and, and talk with the Grandmaster of the State of Texas on, on this podcast. I greatly appreciate you taking the time. I know your schedule uh, has to be very busy, and uh, it, this this interview, this discussion. Uh, has provided a lot of value for myself and I look forward to other brothers hearing this because this has been an excellent conversation. Thank you very much for having me, giving me the opportunity to be here. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Most worshipful. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good evening. Okay. Thanks again. And and we'll Uh, see you soon. Yes, we will. (laughs) Appreciate you. (laughs)